let's turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We left off in verse 10. Let's pray together. Father, we're humbled by your love for us, your unconditional love, that you know our hearts, but yet you love us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. As we study your word tonight, would you give us open hearts? We believe that you have the power to, to change and transform our hearts. As we behold you, as we read your word, God, would you do a deep work in our hearts and lives? We, we just surrender ourselves to you. We surrender RMC to you. We recognize, Jesus, that you're the Lord. You're our head. So we hold fast to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. These are Moses' parting words to the generation that's going to go in and take the promised land. It's really Moses' sermons. It's Moses' perspective on the law. What he warns the children of Israel about in these chapters is the danger of blessing. Doesn't that sound kind of weird? You're like, I'll try that danger. Uh, give, give me a shot at, at that right there. But what we'll see is when they get into the promised land and things are going well, it'll be easy for them to forget the Lord. Think about this. Just wrestle with this thought for a little bit. Is it harder to navigate trial or is it harder to navigate blessing in a way that honors the Lord? I don't have the answer for you, but I think both present a unique challenge because in the wilderness, it's easy to doubt God and drift from the Lord, but in blessing, it's easy to forget the Lord. As we go through the law, remember the purpose of the law is to point us to Christ, to drive us uh, to Christ. We'll see very clearly once again, every time that we read the law, that we need Christ as our Savior. So let's look in verse 10. Would you guys mind if I tie my shoe? I feel like it's probably safer if I just do that. Especially since I'm just getting started. Got a long sermon to go. Probably trip up here. So verse 10. So it came to pass when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Moses is convinced that God is going to be faithful to his promise. God has promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's going to bring them into the promised land. We can be confident of God's promises. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God says, I'm going to give you stuff that you didn't plant. Houses that you did not build. Trees take a long time to grow, don't they? Especially here in Colorado. The Middle East would be similar. As they came into the land and they conquered the land, they were inheriting houses that they didn't build, vineyards that they didn't plant. Have you ever experienced blessing in your life where you go, man, I did not earn this. I did not deserve this. This was God's grace in my life. That, that was the Lord bringing them into the promised land. And God says, beware, 
when you're full, when things are going well, when you're at a place of rest, lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. It's in those times of blessing. It's in those times where we don't have a care in the world, where our needs are, are met, where we could put it on cruise control, that if we're not careful, we forget the Lord. This word forget, it means to, to put out of mind. Simply just going through the days of, of putting God out of my mind. Those are scary days when we look back and go, you know, I didn't really think of the Lord at all today. He wasn't on my mind. I forgot the Lord. I was busy with my thing, my kingdom, and my agenda. This warning is going to be reiterated here in just a moment. We go on, it says in verse 13, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. The warning after forgetting the Lord, after not being mindful of the Lord, is to go into idolatry, to start serving these false gods. God is jealous for us. He's not jealous of us. There's nothing in us that God goes, I wish that I had what you have. Instead, he's jealous for our hearts. He's wanting our love and wanting our passion and calling us to that place where we worship him. In verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. It's really interesting that Jesus was quote or meditating on this section of scripture when he was being tempted in the wilderness. If you look in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. So Jesus starts meditating on this section of scripture. Satan, being the opportunist, comes to him during this wilderness temptation, and what does Jesus respond? He responds with short sections of scripture, two of which we're going to read tonight. It tells us that Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, why don't you just jump off, and the angels will come and catch you, prove to everybody that you are the Son of God. And Jesus responded, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. There's power in the word of God. How does Satan over, how does Jesus overcome Satan's temptation? Through the word of God. And he quoted a small section of scripture. He didn't quote uh, this whole chapter. So we can take great comfort that Christ was meditating on this section of scripture, even in his own wilderness experience. In verse 17, you shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, which he's commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it might be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, or what is the meaning of the law, what is the meaning of the word of God, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we are slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Always going back to Egypt. We were slaves in bondage, and God delivered us. And we want to keep in mind 
God's rescuing, his redemption, our testimony. We definitely want to share that with our kids. Our kids need to know God's grace in our lives and sharing that testimony with others as well. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household. Then he brought us out from there that he may bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we carefully observe all of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Is the problem with the law? No, the law is good. Moses understands the law is good for us. The problem was the children of Israel. They fell short. They couldn't keep these, these rules, and so they didn't enter into the blessing. Thankfully, we have Christ. Thankfully, the blessings of God flow into our lives through the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus wins our obedience, empowers us for obedience. But the problem wasn't the law. The problem's our own sinfulness and shows us how much that we need a Savior. Isn't every day living proof that we need a Savior? You know, every day we get sight of the reality of our sinfulness, and thankfully we, we have Christ. In verse 7, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. But notice this, seven nations greater and mightier than you. Please hear this tonight. God is calling us into victories that are greater than ourselves. God says to the children of Israel, I'm going to defeat these seven nations in Canaan that are greater than you. There's victories that God wants to bring in our lives over sin that we can't accomplish on our own. That's to the praise of God's glory. Where people go, I know you. I know how you were in bondage to that sin. I know your track record with anger and lust and bitterness. And, and God came in and he did a work of, of victory in your life. God wants to use us in a way that he calls us to things that are greater than we could ever possibly dream of in our own strength, ability, and wisdom. God wants to bring the children of Israel into the promised land to defeat these giants, these walled cities. They're not up for the task. So we can't look at ourselves. We've got to look at God. Is it a sin that you're struggling with tonight? God's calling you to a victory that's greater than yourself. Is it a step of faith that God's put on your heart? God's calling you to that step of faith that's greater than yourself. If we're just living inside of our own strengths and our own resources, we're not trusting in the Lord. We're not availing ourselves to the power of God. God's really clear. They're greater and mightier than you. In verse 2, And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them. God's calling for complete destruction of these seven nations. These seven nations had given 
a period of time to repent, get right with the Lord, hundreds of years, and now comes judgment. Why can the children of Israel not leave them alive? Because if they do, they're going to be a snare to them. And that's what we see in these next few verses. Nor shall you make marriages with them, nor shall you give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. The way destruction's going to come, you don't obey fully. There's partial obedience and start allowing your kids to, to marry those from these pagan nations. And before long, your, your kids aren't following the Lord. This is really important as you think about getting married for those of you that are single. If you're a believer, marry a believer. You go, oh, well, I'm going to win them over to the Lord. Well, you don't know that. They may win you over to the world. That's very possible. And God's heart is that you wouldn't be unequally yoked with, with an unbeliever. Trust those that are married that tell you you need to marry someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. That's what it takes to make marriage work and make marriage beautiful is when two people have their eyes upon the Lord. So if you're thinking about getting married, you're in a dating relationship that it's not with a believer, it's going to cause problems in your life. Put the Lord first. Trust them to the Lord. If they get saved, praise the Lord. But you need to make that commitment in your heart and, and in your life. God's really calling Israel here to complete obedience. No partial obedience. A lot of times we like to obey 80% and feel good about that, that 80%. And God's saying, no, I want you to obey all the way. I can remember so many times as a kid doing my chores and a lot of the times those chores were 80%. They were partial obedience. Eric, clean up your toys. So where would all the toys go? Just stuff them in the closet, close the door. Hey, mom and dad, I've been obedient, right? And that's a lot of times how we do our relationship with the Lord. God, God I'm obeying you. Just don't open the closet. You don't, don't look inside of the closet. God wants us to go all the way in obedience. Verse 5 but thus you shall bear with them, you shall destroy their altars, thus you shall deal with them, you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all of the peoples on the face of the earth. This is God's commitment to the nation of Israel that they're his special treasure above all of the other nations of the earth. We don't like this unless we're Jewish. For most of us, we're Gentiles, which means we're non-Jewish. We're like, what does this mean that God chose the, the nation of Israel? And through the nation of Israel, God chose to bring his son. Jesus is Jewish of the tribe of, of Judah. Through this nation, God brings his love to the whole entire world. So it's not that God doesn't love the world, but his choice was to choose the nation of Israel. There's some that believe in a replacement theology that we as the church have replaced the nation of Israel. I believe that contradicts scripture if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11. 
if God gives up on Israel, what's his hope for us? We see God's character of unconditional love for the nation of Israel. It's not that Israel's always lovely, as we see in the scriptures and we see throughout history, but it's that God has his unconditional love for them. So God's love for all people is revealed through his love for the nation of Israel. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all of the peoples. God chose them by grace, not because they were more mighty, not because they were wiser, not because there was anything inherently in Israel that was better than anyone else. In fact, they were fewer in number. They, they were weak, and, and God found them as slaves in, in Egypt and, and formed them. And we've got to understand that in our lives as well. God did not choose us and save us because there was something amazing about us. Amen? He chose us and he saved us as a trophy of his grace to be able to articulate and point people to, to who God is. There was two guys that got saved. There was a lawyer and there was a plumber. And the lawyer had this attitude of, you know, I can kind of see why God saved me. So I'm pretty good with my words. I've got a lot of education. And I really believe that God's going to use my life. The plumber's like, I'm not really sure why God saved me. And my skills are humble, but I work very hard. And he comes to the Lord saying, God, I'm availed to, to your service. Use me if you would like for your glory. Who do you think is going to get used more by the Lord? For sure the plumber, right? God's not looking at the lawyer going, I wasn't sure what I was going to do until you came into the picture. Man, it's so good that, that you're saved. You're, you're going to solve a lot of, lot of problems for me. God doesn't need us, right? He delights to use us, but he doesn't need us. He chose us by his grace. In verse 8, but because the Lord loves you. I've got that underlined. The reason God chose Israel is because he loved them. The reason that God chose us is because he loved us. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for thousands of generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God's character is seen in his faithfulness to Israel. He keeps his word. He shows mercy to thousands of generations to those that love him. Do you love the Lord? God's going to be merciful to you. And he repays those who hate him to their faiths to destroy them. He will not slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which I have commanded you today. This next section lays out blessing of obedience in verse 12. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep to do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. The old covenant is if you perform, you're blessed. If you don't perform your curse, the new covenant is that Christ has paid the price for us and we're blessed through the blood of Jesus. 
He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil and the increase of your cattle and the offering of your flock in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. You shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but will lay them on those who hate you. Also you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord God delivers over to you. Your eye shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. If you serve their gods, it's going to be a snare to you. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the people of whom you are afraid. God says, don't let fear creep into your heart and in your life. Wouldn't it be nice to only deal with fear once, maybe twice? Oh, I got this down. But fear can easily creep into our lives. What are you afraid of this evening? You don't need to be afraid. You can trust the Lord. I can trust the Lord. Where does God take the children of Israel? He takes them back to his faithfulness. Remember what I did for you in Egypt, how I delivered you with these mighty signs. What is it that God has done in our lives? Well, I I didn't experience the Lord delivering me out of Egypt. We have something better that we're going to celebrate in communion tonight, and that's the death of Jesus. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, not living under the old covenant. But also, you have your own journey with the Lord, God's faithfulness. How has he met you in times past? Is there a few things, a handful of things, five times where the Lord has been faithful. Hold on to that. Lord, you have been faithful. You've worked all things together for good. I'm recalling your past faithfulness, so when I go into the future, Lord, I know you're going to continue to be faithful. In verse 20, moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left, who hide themselves from you, are destroyed. God's got a secret weapon. He's going to send in a a hornet to attack these seven nations. I remember when Wyatt was a baby, we were at a place up in Denver called White Fence Farm. It's now closed, but we we loved going there as a family. Amber and I actually had our rehearsal dinner there. It was kind of this old, you know, barn type of meal, just good food and this little farm where you could pet animals, and I'm holding Wyatt, and I step on like a hornet's nest, and all of a sudden, he's getting attacked, and that's kind of a terrible feeling, like you're holding your baby, and for some reason, they all went after him, so we're running away, and he ended up being, being okay, uh, but those things are, are nasty, you know, and God's going to send in the hornet, to defeat the enemy. And and this really brings us to a point. 
His God's got weapons that we can't even think of. <laughs> he can use a hornet, right? He's not limited. We, we look at things and we go, oh, I'm so limited in this situation. God's not limited. In verse 21, you shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God is among you. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the fields become too numerous for you. So God's going to bring the defeat little by little. They're going to have to be faithful to go out and fight these battles over a period of time. The reason God's doing that is if they won all the battles at once, the beasts of the field would take over, the lions and tigers and bears, oh my. We do know David, as a boy, fought lions there in Israel, there in, in Judah. This is how God oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes brings victory in our lives spiritually is little by little, little by little. We want it to happen all at once, instantaneous victory. But this is how God grows our character is to see us fight the battle over and over and over and over, to see those strongholds uh, come down. So as you're fighting that battle, look for those victories that come one at a time, little by little. But the Lord God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hands and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You shall burn their carved images of their gods with fire you shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it. God says, I want you to destroy these idols. I don't want you to burn the idols and then take the silver and the gold. That'd be really tempting to do, but God knows that silver and the gold would actually be a snare to them. It would be something that would lead their hearts away from the Lord. For it's an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly destroy it and abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. We jump into chapter 8. Every commandment which I commanded you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in to possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Here's why God led them through the wilderness. To humble you and to test you, to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Wilderness experiences. God leading us and being faithful to us in the wilderness. The wilderness before the promised land. Why would God allow us to be in the wilderness? If you're taking notes, write down these three things. And the first is to produce humility. Wilderness experiences produce humility in our lives. Until we're broken, until we get our cans kicked, it's very easy to think prideful of ourselves, to have pride come into our lives. But we go through a hard time. We realize our own weakness. We realize how much we're dependent upon the Lord. God, please bring water. God, please provide food. I can't even provide for my own basic necessities. Lord, I, I need you. And it's to humble us. 
And that humility lasts. That weakness does produce that, that humility in our lives. And God loves humility. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's worth it to have humility worked in our lives through wilderness experiences. The second is this, to test our hearts, to, to reveal the condition of our hearts. God says, I took you into the wilderness to test you. I hated it growing up as a kid on Fridays because Fridays were spelling tests. Any of you grow up with spelling tests on Fridays? Like, I'm a terrible speller. There's things that I don't like about technology, but there's things that I love about technology. And it's, Siri, could you spell? Oh, man, if that was in my life as a kid, it would have been a lot easier. I mean, we don't want to tell our kids this, but you don't really have to learn to spell anymore. You are going to have Siri in your pocket. It's going to happen, right? So every Friday was, was spelling tests. And what did it, would it reveal? It would reveal that I was terrible at spelling. That's what it would, would re reveal to me. So there was one weekend where I was spending with my aunt and uncle, Carolyn and Dave. They were like grandparents uh, to me, quite a bit older than, than my mom. And I was told to study my spelling. I'd have to study my spelling over the weekend, study it all week just to try to pass these, these spelling tests. And I did not want to study my spelling. So I hid my spelling book under the bed, under the twin bed at my aunt's house. I went to my teacher, and I said, look, I lost my spelling book, so I can't take the test this Friday. <laughs> and she fell for it. She did, I didn't have to take the test that Friday. She got me another spelling book. I went back to my aunt's house in my 20s, and I found that spelling book. <laughs> I, I hit it that good. I was in third grade when I, when I did that. But uh, man, I was just terrified of the test. But without the test, it doesn't really reveal your knowledge. And teachers know that. That's why they give you tests. And our loving Father, He knows the condition of our hearts, but we get self-deceived. We start thinking one thing about ourselves. Oh, I'm a pretty giving person. I'm a, I'm a pretty loving person. I'm a pretty selfless person. I, I love the Lord. I'm, I'm walking with God. We go through a wilderness. We go through a difficulty and it reveals what's really inside. So here's this bottle of water. If I've got the lid off and I'm driving down the road and I hit a bump, whatever's inside is going to come out. If I'm drinking coffee, it's coming out. If I'm drinking tea, it's coming out. If I'm drinking water, it's coming out, right? So that wilderness, we're getting bumped. We're getting hit. It's hot. We're thirsty. And all of a sudden, we start seeing the real condition of our hearts. What were the hang-ups for the children of Israel? It was lust, longing for things that God hadn't provided. It was complaining, grumbling and complaining and murmuring. It was questioning the leadership that God had provided. They loved to point out all of Moses' flaws and complain about Moses. What is it about us? Are we going through a hard time? What did that hard time reveal? Oh, some doubt. I'm not trusting the Lord like I really thought that I did. Oh man, there is some complaining that is taking place in my heart. Ouch, there's, there's a lot of selfishness in my heart, in my life. Sometimes the, the test 
may reveal others trust in the Lord. Oh, there is, there's humility. Oh, Lord, thank you. Because that wasn't the case in my life five years ago when I faced a, a similar trial. But let's pay attention to what the test is revealing. Because it can be easy to be in the wilderness, going through the hard time, we're getting the test results and we're like, nah, no thanks. It's already hard enough. I, I don't want to look at the condition of my heart. In Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, because out of it flows the issues of life. It really all does come back to the heart. What's going on in my heart? Am I loving God and loving others from my heart? Or has my heart gotten hard? Has it gotten dull? Has it, has it gotten consumed with things that don't honor and glorify the Lord? But trial, wilderness experiences will reveal that to us. The third reason is here in verse 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Wilderness experience Teach us the priority of the word. When you look at verse 3, God says, He took them to the wilderness to give them manna from heaven every day, this bread from heaven that God would give to them every day, so that they would know man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus also quotes this in Luke chapter 4. When Satan tried to tempt him to turn a stone into bread. And he responded, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Hard times make us ask the question, there's got to be more to life than this. There has to be more. Here I'm trying to survive and put one foot in front of the other. There's got to be more than just the food that I eat, the pleasure that I consume, the greatest vacation that I can have, the best mountain bike that I can ride. There's got to be more. And hard times make us press into that question, and we go, oh, there is more. There's the word of God. We know the children of Israel got sick of manna. It was the same thing every day. On the Sabbath, they could collect two days' worth. Otherwise, they had to get up every day. If you're wondering maybe what it would be like to be on manna for 40 years, Try eating oatmeal every day for the next 40 days and see how you feel about oatmeal, let alone for 40 years, 40 years of the same food. They would have to press into this truth. My life is not defined by food. My, my life is not defined by my physical comforts, but life comes from the word of God. Real life is found in the word of God. As we feast upon the word of God, that feeds our soul in a way that food and comforts and pleasures never can. We go on into verse 4. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. They got to wear the same clothes for 40 years. They ate the same food, but the flannel lasted for 40 years. Some of you guys have flannels that are 40 years old. Your testimony to the power of this verse as well. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. You're going to discipline the child you love. 
how much more so is God going to chasten us? Therefore, you shall keep the commands of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God, that emphasis, the Lord your God, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains, springs that flow out of the valleys and hills. God's taking us to heaven. He's leading us to good things in this life. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey mustard from Chick-fil-A. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land in whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you've eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord God for the good land which he has given you. So the proper response to blessing, when you've eaten and you're full, is to thank God. We're to, to receive blessing with thanksgiving. But here's the warning. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commands, his judgments, his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and this word lifted up literally means becomes proud. When your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the houses of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land which there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. When do we need to beware? God's saying, warning, warning, warning. When we're full, when we're eating and we're full, when we've built beautiful houses, when we have what we need in excess. Isn't it difficult, those times what we've had in our lives where we wonder, how am I going to make it? How am I going to get groceries? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay utilities? Not fun times, but man, your prayer life is very real in those times. God, we need you. Would you provide? Would, would you show up? Some of you may be in that place right now this evening. God hears your prayers. But maybe you look and you go, man, I'm pretty blessed financially. God's actually kind of multiplied. And there's more than I need. And I've got a beautiful house. And man, I, I get to eat whatever I want. I can afford to eat whatever I want. I go to the grocery store. And if I feel like this, I can, I can get this. And God says, be careful. Don't forget me. Don't forget that I was the one that did this. I was the one that gave you the house. I was the one that gave you the nice yard. I was the one that gave you the ability to go to Chick-fil-A or Chipotle or all the good restaurants start with C, apparently. Right. Go get coffee at, at Dutch Brothers. I was the one that did this for you. And there's this switch that happens in the Israelites' heads where they go, hey, we made this happen. We, we did this. 
hey, we worked hard. Hey, we came into the promised land and we fought, fought these battles. And we need to be careful that we don't start to think that. Well, well I've worked so hard. I've been faithful to my spouse. I, I've gone to church. I've, I've tithed. I've, 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 I've done all of this. No, the Lord. It was the Lord that did this. It was the Lord that gave you the ability to work. It was the Lord that gave you favor. It was the Lord that multiplied your riches and provided that, that house. And in the midst of the blessings, we can forget the one who gave us the blessing. In verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. He's the one that gives us the health, that gives us the ability, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you. So you shall perish, because you did not not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. God says, if you do forget and walk away from me, you're going to perish just like these nations that you defeated. Most of us are probably in one or two places tonight. You might be in the wilderness camp. And you're like, I'd really like to try the blessed camp. I'd really like to try having more than I need. Well, no, God's working in the wilderness. He's producing humility. He's testing your heart. He's showing you what you really need is the word of God. Man doesn't live by vacation alone, but by every word of God. Others of you, you're blessed. God has blessed you. Is there anything wrong with being blessed? No. God's the one who, who did it. Receive it with thanksgiving. You're blessed to be a, a blessing. Give generously. But heed the warning that God gives. When things are going well and we're comfortable, that's when we tend to forget the Lord. What helps us remember the communion table? When we get to come tonight to the communion table and remember Christ. Through Christ, every blessing flows. Let's stand together and let's, let's pray. You guys enjoying Deuteronomy? Can you picture Moses giving these sermons, giving these teachings? Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those that are in struggle. I pray for those that are in wilderness, that are wondering why and are weary and fatigued. God, would you comfort them? Father, would you give them your mercy? Would you teach them in this time? Would you teach us right now? We don't live by bread alone, but we live by your word. As we get some test scores back of our heart, and it reveals things that surprise us, God, would you change our heart? We confess those things to you tonight as we take communion. Or would you remove the lust and the covetousness and the anger and the bitterness? Would you wash us clean? Do business with our hearts. For those that are 
being blessed, we thank you. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Thank you for providing. Thank you for blessing. Thank you for the homes and the cards and the resources and vacations. All those things are gifts from you. But Lord, would, would you guard us? Would you help us to heed this warning to not forget you? May we navigate blessing in a way that honors you. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.